Good morning, Desert Springs. My name is Pastor Caleb, and I'm a pastor here. Hey, Danny. Hi. How are you doing? Good. Yeah, you're good. still here. That's, that's good. I've never seen you like this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got some new, I got a new outfit. Yeah. Uh, got a new hat. Like it. Got the sticker still on it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, cool. do you, have, no, you ever had a hat like this? I don't have a hat like that. Yeah. Well, Seriously. it goes with my uh, extra Wilson extra racket because I've been hitting the old... Uh, I didn't know you played tennis. Hitting it. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't either. I don't have one of those. those are yeah, tight. yeah. You don't have a tennis racket like no. this? Cool, super cool. Yeah. It's uh, nice. gold-plated too. Pretty nice. How about... Uh, yeah, those are... This situation right here. That's pretty cool. It's, it re- it's when you're singing, they go up and down. Yeah. Yeah, legit. How about... Um, I got some Amber Crombie uh, tearaways. Wow. Yeah. Look, the tags on the back too. You yeah, can see. Yeah, I look at that. But yeah, and I got cool. my. I, yeah, no, I don't have anything like that. You don't have anything like this? Uh-uh. Well, that this makes is... me feel better than you. Yeah. Yeah. Smug sad. and self-satisfied. I feel sad. Yeah. I probably am better than you. But. What? I sing better than you, and I'm taller than you. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Danny Hunkin. So today, we are kicking off a new series called Tis the Season. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking it's not the holiday season yet. I know, and that's good news, because the holiday season is a season in which we, you know, have opportunity to celebrate. It's a joyous time, time for family, time for remembering. But also, this season coming up is the pinnacle moment where we have an opportunity as a consumeristic, individualistic society to give ourselves over to greed, discontentment, comparison with one another. And so we have got to get ready for this upcoming season because we all know that we can easily fall into the trap of comparing ourselves to each other. So today we're gonna kick off this new series, Tis the Season, talking about comparison. Now, you may compare your racket with others. Isn't my racket so much better than yours? Or you might compare your hat. And of course, I still have the sticker on mine to let you know how expensive it was. And you might compare your electronic Bluetooth 1980s glasses with one another. And we're going to try to do this without getting me fired. You can also compare name brand shirts or uh, what... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it ain't that kind of a church okay these are the they just said that they made them as tearaways so we're gonna give it a big try right now okay trust me i've got jeans on under uh i like my job three two Tearaways. ladies and gentlemen josh and the production team put that all together give a hand for them okay Here's the jam. What Danny and I just acted out and poked fun at, we are doing all the time, right? I mean, even this morning, I would wager that a healthy percentage of us in this room were eyeballing other people in this space saying, must be nice. We were pulling in in our car and we take a look over at the other car and we say, must be nice. Their children seem to be behaving. Must be nice. 
They're in better shape than I am. They've got better clothes than I do. Look at their, look at their relationships, their marriage, their relationship with their parents, their relationship with their kids, relationship with their lover must be nice. We are stuck in the comparison trap. Oh, and you know what's actually uh, fascinating is even when we're in the confines of our own home, even when we're hidden away, even when we're completely absent from anyone else around us, their lives are being streamed to us nonstop through social media. And so even in our quietest, most isolated moments, what are we doing? Must be nice. Must be nice. Must be nice. We're stuck in the trap of comparison. And so here's what we're going to do today. As we think about comparison and we think about maybe what that breeds in our lives or what that grows in our lives, we're actually going to take a look at the oldest story ever told. So we're going to be in the book of Genesis. It's a book in the Bible. It's actually uh, in in, uh, most of our Bibles. It's the first book in the Bible. If you're not sure uh, where that is, just start on the far left side turn to the right and you'll find it if you have a digital uh, Bible that's awesome it's going to be super easy to find we're in Genesis and we're going to be in chapters 2 and the first part of chapter 3 now uh, even if you don't have a Bible totally cool I know many of you don't we'll have it up here on the screen I'm going to ask you to follow along so here's what we're going to do today we're going to do this whole thing in three parts right Uh, Part number one, I'm going to read through selected verses from Genesis 2 and 3 just to give us a a reminder of the story of Adam and Eve and and kind of how comparison works. And then I'm actually going to share with you a little bit uh, just from like where I'm at with all this, um, how just even preparing for today has shaped me. And then finally, we're going to do something. It may, it may seem a little bit strange for some of us, but that's totally fine. Welcome to church. We're strange. Um, I'm going uh, I'm, I'm to hope, my, my intent is to give us just a quiet moment to think and to be still. For those of us uh, who are Jesus followers, and I know that not all of us are Jesus followers. For those of us that are in the room that are Jesus followers, we're going to have a moment just to, just to talk to Jesus about this, just in the quiet of our own selves. And for those of you that are still, for those of us that are still trying to figure out who Jesus is, I'm so glad you're here. I'm actually going to ask that today you would take a chance. And if maybe you're not the praying type, but maybe today you could like try it, see what happens. And so I'm going to read the Genesis uh, uh, chapters 2 and 3 story. I'll make some comments, but I, I, what I'd really love for you to do is, uh, if you've ever heard of like the story of Adam and Eve and the garden and the fruit and all that business, I, what I'm going to ask us to do is just refamiliarize ourselves with this very, very old story that we find in the book of Genesis. And so uh, I'll go through it here. Are you guys ready? Mm. I'm comparing you to second hour today. So, and so far, it's not hard to beat. So are you ready? Someone's scared over here by how ready we are. Uh, I I love it. I love it. That's where we need to be at every Sunday. Okay, so here we go. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he placed the human he had formed. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil— and the plot thickens. Yeah, yeah, you guys are doing awesome. Now, I want you to see this. Okay, so real quick, um, TV time out. When you're reading the Bible, especially you're reading like ancient texts like Genesis, I want you to remember that writing things down costs a great deal of money, and so it's, there's not really extra words. 
right? You, you wouldn't ever want to fault a, one of the authors of some of these ancient texts for being wordy or just trying to hit a word count. The second thing is, uh, this is ancient uh, Hebrew literature, and it's meant to be meditated on. So if some of this stuff might be confusing, that's totally fine. Just read it 50 more times, pray about it for 10 years, and then it'll start to really come alive in your life. Now, a river went out from Eden to water the garden. From there, it divided and became the source of four rivers. Let's continue. Now, real quick, that thing with the four rivers, I just want you to think, where does, if, if you were to plant a city, you would be looking for a source of water. So rivers are life. You with me so far? So out of this magnificent garden that God has planted, out of this garden are flowing four rivers. And you might even, maybe if I can uh, adopt the idea for our culture, you might have the idea that the four rivers are going to the four corners of the earth or the four cardinal directions. To put it another way, these rivers are bringing life to the earth. You with me so far? Okay. So, sustaining life. The Lord God took the human and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the human, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, where is that tree? Was it on the outskirts of the garden? In the middle of the garden, right next to another tree, the tree of, what did the water give to the whole earth? Life, okay? And what trees are they free to eat from? Any, literally, any tree except for the one tree. And it, does say, it says nothing that that fruit was better, that it was even different. It's just, that's the one tree that I would like you not to eat from, that I command you not to eat from. But you can have fruit from what? Any tree. And how lush is this place? It's so lush that there's four rivers flowing out of it, giving life to the whole earth. Both the man and his wife were naked, hallelujah, and felt no shame. In the world of comparison, this ain't happening no more. So just right away, I want you to see the damage that comparison can do. Here you have this imagery of the man and woman, right? Counterparts, made in the image and likeness of God, naked and feeling no shame. Let's keep going. Oh, by the way, real quick, that also speaks to unity of relationship. That speaks to the nature of their communion, their communion with one another. Okay, so here we go. Now the serpent. The plot that you guys are booing. <laughs> I love this. Uh, you should hiss, though, because that's, um, yeah, there we go. The serpent. Now, here, this is so wonderful. Chapter breaks were not original in the original text. And so you go immediately from the man and woman were naked and unashamed, and the very next thing you read is now the serpent. And you're supposed to be like, what serpent? We haven't been introduced to the serpent yet. Oh, boy. Here we go. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had. Oh, that's interesting. This is something you need to think about for the next 47 years. <laughs> Who made the serpent? Who made the tree in the middle of the garden? Ah. That's not a problem for most of us just yet, but watch what happens. He said to the woman, 
This is the serpent. He said to the woman, did God really say, you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Chickity, chickity, check. What is the serpent saying to the woman? Did God say you couldn't eat from? Is that different than what God said? God said you can eat from any tree that you want except the one. But do you see how this uh, this deception begins to work inside because I used to not really care about the stuff I couldn't have because look at all the stuff I do have. And now I'm thinking, wait a minute. There's something I don't have. Do you see how this trick works? Did God really say? And the deception begins to creep in. The woman said to the serpent, which is weird, Y'all are acting like this ain't strange. This is super strange. Like, you might have, I mean, you've, you've been hanging out with church folks for too long. This is so weird, right? The woman doesn't say, aha, a talking snake. She's like, well, I'm glad you brought that up, counterpoint. So weird. All right. Now, let me just press pause. All right, for all the uh, uh, Christians in the room, uh, if, you, if you, boy, if you want to email me about what I'm about to say, just you can email me, okay? And I'll, I'll give you more nuance. I'm going to talk to the non-Christians in the room for a minute, okay? You guys, is it cool? Okay. Um, you do not have to believe that this is a literal snake in order to follow Jesus. Christian theologians for centuries have said, is this a metaphor or is this a historical account? And Jesus did seem to act like these are actual people, and that's actually my, my leaning is because I believe in Jesus. I do not believe Genesis 3 because it's in my Bible. I believe Genesis 3 because Jesus seems to believe it. Jesus talked about it, and I follow Jesus. Here's why I'm saying this. There are many of us here today saying, do you expect me to believe in a talking snake in order to follow Jesus? And I just want to say to you, Jesus never sets that standard. First, follow Jesus, and then see what you think about talking snakes, okay? You guys with me so far? All right. I'm making some of the Christians in the room very nervous, but I just would encourage you, I just want to encourage you, the reason that we love the scripture is because Jesus used it, elevated it, and it points to him, not because the Bible says, okay? To put it another way, I don't worship a holy book. I worship the king and creator of the universe who rose from the grave conquering over Satan, sin, and death. And this holy book points to him. So I'm going to go to him. And man, I've got tons of stuff in Genesis that I don't know what to do with. And I get paid to be here. So all that to say, if we're hung up on, is the snake real snake? Is it talking? Am I supposed to? Is this historical account metaphor? Just don't let that, don't get hung up on that because if you do, you're going to miss the real power here. By the way, the original readers didn't ask, is this historical or metaphor? Okay. Man, oh, everyone's so nervous. Okay, here we go. The woman said to the serpent, quite naturally, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden... God said, you must not eat or, uh, or touch it. Did God say you can't touch? He, he, he said you could make it potpourri. You could peel what, I mean, I don't know what kind of fruit it was, but you could peel it and make little fanciful, you know, fall decorations. Just don't eat of it. But what has Eve done? 
she has now added to the word of God. Both the humans and the serpent are misunderstanding or misrepresenting what was actually said by God. Christians in the room, this for us is something to pay attention to. Because there have been many times where I have quoted what I think God says without actually going to what God says. Which is why I want to keep us as a church family constantly pointing to Jesus as the authority in our lives, not the pastor. Oh, you were so quick to do that. I'm... (laughs) Okay. You guys have been waiting for... Okay, okay, okay. That's next time sermon. Okay. No! You will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be... Oh. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. Plot thickens. Let's keep going. So she took... What was that word? Some... She, what did she do though? She took. Up until this point in time, humans have been gifted and now the human is reaching out and seizing. This is how every war in the history of humanity starts. I look upon something that is not mine to take and I reach out my hand and what? I take. Then uh, 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 she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together. Up until this point in time, the trees have simply been delightful to look at and good to produce food for us to eat because we're naked and unashamed in the garden. And now these very good gifts of God, these trees of goodness, are being used to cover over my shame. Do you see it? What does comparison do? Then the eyes of, oh, oh, we read that, right? Sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Okay, let's keep going. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, uh, and that, which we don't have in Phoenix, but in the Middle East they have it. There's just hot. And they hid from the Lord God among the, oh, You see, what was used for goodness in life is now being used to cover over my shame and to allow me to hide. I'm going to hide behind these good gifts of God. Do you see how wonderfully powerful of a diagnostic this is on the human condition? We oftentimes think of the ancients as if they're stupid and, you know, uneducated. But is this not how it works? When we compare ourselves to others and we try to take what they have, what does it do to us? They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Let's keep going. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? Do you think that was rhetorical? (laughs) I'm led, I think so. I think he probably knew. By the way, all throughout the scriptures, God does this kind of stuff with humanity. He he asks questions. It's clear he knows the answer to, but it's to get us to think, right? Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And then he asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you 
not to eat from? Now, if you've ever been around children, that you call out, when you're around kids, and you call out, what has brought you to this moment in time? What stringing together of thoughts has caused this particular moment, Junior? If you've ever been around kids, this will be familiar to you. Literally, be around kids for five minutes. This will become very familiar to you. Then the man replied, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. This woman, oh, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. What's this doing to their relationship? Let's keep going. Oh, is that it? Oh, yeah, that is it. No, that's my fault. Don't compare me to other pastors who have their act together, okay? <laughs> Do you see that what started with beauty and unity and feeling no shame, harmony in relationship between humanity and God and humanity with itself, this act of I'm going to take what I don't have for myself, even in the midst, I mean, do you see the irony of this? Even in the midst, oh man, this is so crazy. Where are they? They're in the Garden of Eden, which means uh, another way to translate it is like Paradise of Delights. If you're in the Paradise of Delights and you're like unsatisfied, what's your problem? They have everything they could ever need or want, and yet there's this one thing that they can't have. They compare themselves. You know, I've got all this stuff, but you know what I don't have is this. And it's the act of taking, taking for myself. Because up until this point in time, everyone's recognized that the things that they had were given by God to them. You with me? They've been gifted these things, and now we're going to take it on ourselves to take. What does comparison do? Division destroys i got three things for us to think about. Number one, comparison starves contentment. When I begin to compare myself, the things I've got with the things that I think I should have or the things I want, it begins to starve contentment. There is only one plant in your gar- the garden of your soul that you can water. It's either the contentment plant or it's the weed of comparison. If you're giving water to the comparison weed, it will starve out the contentment As we are comparing ourselves to each other, it's starving our contentment. Take a look at the text. Where are they? God planted a garden in Eden, the, the, the paradise of delights. And there's how many rivers? There's one that's sourced and then it flows out to bring nourishment and delight to what? The, like everything. And it's in this epicenter of God's grace, love, provision, and gift that as we're comparing ourselves, our contentment dries up. Has this ever happened to you? Has this ever happened to you? You you, you didn't know you needed something until you saw someone else had it? 
I mean, like when we're babies, we know we need food, right? We don't look around at other people eating and say, I should get me some food. And even with clothing, we know inherently, I think, that we need food and clothing and shelter. But has this ever happened to you? You're out walking around, you see an advertisement, or you're watching, um, uh, well, it's a spawn of Satan, it's HDTV. You're watching HDTV, <laughs> and you see somebody else's flooring, and you look at your flooring, and you're, you say, I need it. We live in a culture that's telling us that we need things in order to give us value. Like, I'm in my house on a secure foundation, I think, with a roof over my head, air conditioning blowing, electricity, running water, a a refrigerator full, and a little HDTV, and and my wife is the one who needs to repent of this. She she turns it on, not me. So when you see Lori, tell her. Um, And HDTV's on, and I look at the floor, and it's only 30 minutes it takes them to change their floor. And I look at my floor, my 20-year-old ceramic, and immediately I say, I need it. Then we begin to have the question, how much debt should we go into to get what we need? We need it. I mean, look right here. It's, it, there's a crack. Our children could fall down through the crack. <laughs> it's a safety issue. Has this ever happened to you? You didn't know you needed something until you saw that somebody else had it? See, comparison kills contentment. It starves contentment. Now, I'm not dogging it. We did end up replacing the tile. We got a smoking deal. (laughs) We practically made money on the deal, right? (laughs) Value of the home and all that nonsense. Okay. So I'm not trying to dog on anybody. Here's what I'm trying to say. It wasn't, we, we ended up not doing that until we went through a season of saying, we have to recognize that this is a want, not a need. And we're going to value, we're going to place in order some other values that we have and make sure that we invest there before we invest here. And boy, is that painful when you need something. I'm going to ask you to do something. Take a week, or if you're bold, take a month. And catalog every time you say the words, I need. In reference to a possession or something that someone else has, okay? Like to say, like if you say to your spouse, like I need love, I, I'm not talking about that. You do need that. What I'm talking about is the HGTVs on in the background. Or at Christmas time, these car commercials. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? I need versus I want. Just, just watch. Just take a week and catalog every time the words, I need it, come out of your mouth. And then ask yourself, why do I think I need it? Okay? That's it. All right, let's keep going. Comparison, what does it produce? It produces curses. Comparison produces curses, and here's why. When I compare myself to when I want you to follow me here, when I compare myself to you, I only have two options. Option number one is for me to look at what you have and think of myself less, value myself less than you because I don't have the thing Option number two is I compare myself to you and it looks like what I did with Danny. I've got, what I, I've got more than you and so I value myself what? When we play the comparison game, 
Rarely, if ever, are we left with equality and equal dignity, worth, and value. When I compare myself to you, it's either must be nice that you've got those things, mm, jerk. Like, I, like uh, cards on the table. I instinctively think people who have twice my net worth are jerks. Not because I've ever met them, but because in my own heart, I have compared myself to them, and I've got to rationalize that, you know, obviously you, you know, did something horrible in order to get that money. But is that right? No. And if somebody who had half of my net worth thought that about me, I'd be like, you, you can't do that. I'm not a number. I'm a human. I'm a person. Don't value me based on the stuff that I've got, right? So when I compare myself to others, it produces curses, not blessings. Because I either curse myself or I'm cursing you. You rich jerks. Must be nice. When we water the weed of comparison, not only does it starve contentment, but it produces a beautiful harvest, a bountiful harvest of curses. And I want to ask you, and for those of you who call Desert Springs your church home, I'm going to ask you this. Do you want to be a church that's producing a bountiful harvest of curses on our community? Because we can. We can do it. Or do we want to produce a harvest of blessing? I'm going to give you an example. So right now we're in the middle of this season. Uh, it's a vision campaign called Build 100. Uh, Build 100 is uh, something we just started this year. It, we spent about a year in prayer over it. We want to see, uh, we want to build up 100 new leaders with a specific emphasis on those who are under-resourced. We want to build, build or rebuild 100 new homes for families in need in this community um, in and through uh, Habitat for Humanity. We want to build 100% more multi-use space on our campus because we're busting at the seams in some areas. That campus thing, there's two uh, parts to that. The first one is to expand uh, this building out that way, produce more um, multi-use space. But the first thing that we're going to do, and we're committed to this, is providing handicap accessibility to our two-story kids' building. Our two-story kids' building, currently the only way to get to the upstairs is by climbing the stairs, which is saying no to an awful lot of people. And we want to be a blessing to this community. We want to say yes to everyone who wants to be a part of our church family. You guys with me so far? I mean, do you guys want that? Okay. So the first thing that we're doing is we're investing uh, funds into um, providing handicap accessibility to our two-story building. So we were praying through this earlier this year, and a person emailed me. I've never met this person before in my life. They had been, they had been visiting here for about six weeks. And when I met with this person, they gave me permission to share. When I met with them, they said, hey, listen, my life is a bit chaotic right now. Um, we, we just bought a house last year, and we found out it's like a lemon. And so we've been sinking uh, like tens of thousands of dollars and just getting like pipes repaired and things replaced. And we're underwater on our house. And, and, uh, and I'm not going to give away too many details, uh, a very dear family member uh, back home, their home, uh, is, is desperately sick and needs care. And we think that God's calling us to actually move right now and go back home and take care of the family member. And this person's, I think, in their upper, like late 20s, early 30s, brand new kid. He and his wife, brand new child. And he said, but I heard us praying about the handicap accessibility for the two-story building. And we just, we just love kids. And we really love that we're going to say yes to every kid. And so here's, and then he handed a check, made a donation, excuse me, for a large sum of money that 
in my mind, I'm thinking, if you're underwater on your house and you're just about to move across the country to go take care of an ailing family member, why are you thinking about this now? And in the course of the conversation, what became clear is they had embraced the value of contentment. And it was out of contentment that they sought to bless instead of curse or even just ignore. And that was the first money given to uh, the, um, to the uh, handicap accessibility for our two-story building. And they, like literally a few weeks later, they moved. You see, when we position ourselves, when we nurture the plant of contentment in our life, and we don't nurture or water the weed of comparison, it places us in a position to say things like this. We're surrounded by fruit trees. We're in the garden. We have got all that God, uh, God has provided all that we have needed. And so we're going to posture ourselves not as people who are constantly looking for what we can take, but we're constantly looking for places where we can give. Do you see it? You see, only out of a place of contentment can we actually put into practice that, oh, you guys have heard this line before, right? It is more blessed to take all this stuff for yourself and hoard it until the very end. Consequences be darned. Wait, is that the line? No, that's not the line. It is better to give than to receive. And so we want to be a people who leave a legacy of blessing. Here's my question for you. How is your heart postured? Is it in a place of comparison or constant contentment? Because only out of a place of contentment Oh, there's this famous line in one of the old hymns. All I have needed, your hand has provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, to me. All I have needed, your hand has provided. You're faithful to me. And so I can live contently and build a legacy of blessing for those in my life around me. And here's a final one. And I want to, oh, this is so important. Oh, my goodness. Comparison chokes out community. Comparison chokes community. And I'm going to ask something, and this, this is, a, this is, this is I, I don't mean it to be mean-spirited. But do you ever have deep community with people who are of a different station than you? Because if I, as I have looked at my own life, I'm rarely at dinner with people who are of a completely different station in life than I am. Rarely. I have to intentionally say, I can be content in homes or at tables where I have 10 times as much or they have 100 times more than me because my value is not based on what's in my wallet, the possessions I have, or the way my life is going right now. And I must say, as I've sought to put this into practice, by the help of God's spirit, it's so freeing to be able to sit with a millionaire and not care about the fact that they're a millionaire. Because, you know what? They're just in a little different place of God's garden than I am, so to speak. And in 150 years, it ain't gonna matter. I'm also finding freedom in being in rooms where I have much more than the people that I'm in community with. So I, wanna, I just want to encourage you. Only out of a place of contentment, not comparison, are we able to actually live in a diverse, like, messed up church family like ours 
where we're rolling in with broken down old Ford Fiestas and Bentleys and we're not caring. Now, if you have a Bentley, I think you should give it to me, but... I'm going to tell you where I'm at with this. And, um, yeah, I think, I mean, this is like, if anything I say, if you have a question on, I would just love to talk to you in person about it, all right? Is that fair? Can we make a little agreement here? Like, instead of going online, instead of videotaping it and sending it to all your friends or, or just being angry, if you find yourself confused and you're talking to other people about it, just come talk to me, please. I generally do not find myself... Like, I, this, this whole sermon, uh, I don't like any of it. Because I have to, like, go through the stuff before you do, uh, and then I actually have to believe it. And I do. Uh, but it's kind of like believing in dentistry. It's, you believe it until you have to sit in the chair and you're like, eh. So I generally am not comparing my paycheck to other pastors. So in my industry, in my field, I'm, I'm generally not doing that. Although I do see some of the stuff on the internet, and it'd be nice to make $900,000 a year, but... Putting that out there. If you know a board member, let them know. Um, <laughs> generally not doing that. Generally not comparing um, house size, car size. But I, I want to tell you, and this is something that I am in a frequent place of repentance of, even this week. Uh, we compare how many butts are in the seats when we're talking. I do it all the time. Uh, if, if, we're, if we're shy of our average by, by a, a couple dozen, I feel bad. And I get mad at you. I'm like, what's your problem? I'm a brilliant speaker. Why aren't you here to listen to every word I say? I know I talk about following Jesus, but come on! And I compare myself to others. I was just with just people I desperately love. And they're, they're, they're having conversation about, you know, uh, attendance and things like that. And I'm just feeling, I'm in this room, and I'm feeling smaller and smaller Literally, I'm driving away thinking, should I even do this anymore? I just, I, I mean, are we, is it even working? Should I, maybe I'm not the right person for the, you know, but if I had that many people, then, then, I, then I'd be a real boy. <laughs> and let me tell you what that is. That's the same thing that's going on in your heart for some other thing. If I could just get it, then I'd finally have value. Tell me I'm not alone in this. You too? And my temptation, here's my temptation, is to do what the human did in the garden. It's to reach out and grab it for myself rather than allow the Lord to provide whatever it is that he believes I need. And when I take, what happens? Well, it starves contentment, it produces cursing, and it chokes community because when I'm around people who have more than what, I, what, than what I do, I end up making them an enemy. And I don't even want to be around them. So I've made the commitment to throw myself into rooms with people who have what I think I want and to allow the Lord to work on me in those moments. I want to encourage you to do the same. The reason I'm sharing this with you is because I want you to know I'm not saying this as someone who's got it all figured out. I'm saying this as someone who desperately needs Jesus and, and, and he has been so faithful in my life. I think he'll be faithful. I know he'll be faithful in yours too if we turn to him. So now I'm gonna ask us to do something. This might seem a little strange, tough. I'm gonna read 
from a letter written by an old pastor. And he's writing, he's been meditating, this pastor has been meditating on the goodness of who Jesus is. And he's writing this letter to this church that had been wrestling with some things. And one of the things he, he starts keying off of and riffing on is that Jesus has been so generous to us and we want to be a generous people as well. And so I want you to just quietly where you're at, just everybody take a big deep breath in. And if you've got a digital device, I'd encourage you to turn it off. If you have a, a piece of paper, a Bible or something, I'd ask you to just close that just, just for a moment. And allow these words to resonate in your mind and in your heart. Maybe if, if it helps to close your eyes, maybe close your eyes. Put yourself in a place where you can receive this. As this pastor is writing, he's riffing on the generosity of God. And I'm going to read some selected verses. You can find this if you want in the book of Philippians. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read um, the later end of his letter, selected uh, portions of it, and then I'm going to read the meat, the very center of his letter. And I think you'll see why in just a moment. So he says this, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. I'm going to say that again. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself, I know both how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. And my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. I'm going to read that one more time. And I want you to ask yourself, you actually believe this. And my God will supply all your needs according, okay, by what power? How is he going to do it? According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I'm going to ask you this thought to think about as I read this next part. How much has Jesus given you? In the same way that God the Father gave the fruit and the river and the life, what too has Jesus freely given to you? What has he given? According to the riches of his glory, he will supply all your needs. And then the meat of the letter. That Jesus Christ, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be exploited, or to put it another way, reached out and grasped. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a human, he humbled himself 
by being obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name above every other name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. What has Jesus given you? It is by that same power and might that he will supply all of our needs. Do you know that today? Only from that truth can we nourish, can we nourish the contentment in our lives and starve out the weed of comparison. I'd like to pray for you. Father, I pray for uh, our church family, my church family. I pray for, for me too, I'm part of that. Oh, we're, just, we're just surrounded by messages that saying that we're not worth it, that we're not valuable enough unless we can get, unless we can grasp something and take it for ourselves. We're being told every day that we should never grow content. And yet, Lord, it is only out of this place of contentment that we can truly live as a blessing to others. And so, Lord, I pray that right now in this moment, each one of us would have a distinct and powerful sense of your presence and your provision for us, your great love and grace towards us. Lord, that we might be a people who mirror that to others in every encounter, in every moment. We ask these things knowing that you love us and you're powerful to bring them about. That's why we pray in Jesus' name, amen.